0: listening to the martial arts business podcast with your host small dojo big profits author mike massey remember to go to martialartsbusinessdaily.com slash podcast for show notes transcripts links to martial arts business resources and more now here's your host mike massey
1: Hey guys, it's Mike Nassi, and I'm back with another episode of the Martial Arts Business Podcast, and today I am joined by J.B. Yeager of Maryland Jeet J.B. is a longtime client and also a personal friend, and uh, I am proud to have him on the show, so welcome to the show, J.B.
2: Thanks, Mike. It's great.
1: Yeah. How are things up there in Baltimore right now?
2: Pretty good. Uh, the leaves have changed and finally started uh, falling. The scenery's been absolutely beautiful. Uh, weather hasn't been too bad. It just started getting cold. Yeah. Um, but it's been great. It's, yeah, i kind of really
1: good. I'm kind of jealous. You know, we get like two seasons here in, in Austin. <laughs> you know, we really don't get three or four seasons. It's either, it's either, you know, super, super hot. Like, you know, we're in a drought or um, it's cold, you know, and it's weird. Uh, the weather changed really quickly on us, which hardly ever happens. And we're actually getting fall-like weather now. And I'm so stoked, you know, like spending most of my childhood in the Midwest, you know, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm all about it. So now I just got to um, maybe drive out the Lost Maples or something like that and go see the leaves turn. So, yeah. Um, so what I wanted to bring you on uh, today to talk about on the show is really to talk about kind of your experience as a martial arts instructor. Um, you teach Jeet Kune Do. Um, you kind of are, uh, you know. I would say, like, uh, you know, kind of a jikano purist in a sense, and uh, the way that you run your studio and and how um, you know how you've overcome some of the challenges involved in running a studio where you're teaching a martial art. It's not easily commercialized. Um, mm-hmm. I know that yeah, many times, just from people that you know, I run into that I've run into over the last twenty years. You know, after writing Small to Big Profits, um, some of the people I've run into they assumed that because Small Dojo Big Profits was written at a time when I was teaching traditional martial arts in my own studio, even though I was doing other martial arts, you know, on my own, um, that it can't be applied to like, say, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school or a Muay Thai school or an MMA school or something like that. So first, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your martial arts background and uh, and maybe a little bit about your studio, and then we'll go from there.
2: Sure. Absolutely. Um, I started martial arts probably around nine years old you know, right in that karate kid era i don't even remember what it was i was studying um my mom says i like to when they were doing laps around the dojo that was my favorite part um, <laughs> i really got serious about it in uh, junior high school i did uh, uh uh karate and this was right it was the same year the U- first ufc dropped So I remember that being a big deal at the dojo. Everybody was passing around the the VHS tapes that somebody had bootlegged. Um, And and so my, for the majority of my career, it's been both in, in that phase of, okay, the traditional martial arts are all we have, but there's this new idea or new conception of grappling and mixed martial arts. Uh, and, And so for me, uh, I got introduced to JKD because my parents got me the Doji Kendo one year for for Christmas around that same time. So it it made sense to me at the beginning of the UFC, reading Bruce Lee. That well, yeah. Why wouldn't? Why would you confine yourself to one style? Why would you confine yourself to to just one way of doing things? Uh, and so my career's gone back and forth from. Uh, mixed martial arts to traditional martial arts, progressive martial arts, whatever you want to call it,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, sport versus street, whatever. And, and I just never understood the point of any of those dichotomies. Yeah. Right. Is it working? Does it work in one venue? Can you make it work in all the venues? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's great.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting that you, you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, you talk about practicality. Mm-hmm. um because you know we're we're both students of uh, burton richardson mm-hmm. and i think you know honestly i think seafood Burton's probably one of the one of the best one of the foremost experts on you know street efficacy of martial arts you know how to make your martial arts street effective um in the world and uh you know studying his materials over the years it really kind of opened my eyes up and he always has a unique perspective on things and you're pretty much In your studio, I mean, you're pretty much teaching Bird's uh, curricula now, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we're a uh, a JKD Unlimited uh, training group. Um, And, you know, I'd I'd done JKD with a couple other associations. I got my start with a a student, Paul Vunak, Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, started training with uh, Paul and then uh, with Singh. And uh, when I finally... Uh, it was actually you and one other person who was like, you, you need to, you need to look, look up Burton Richardson and hook up with him. You'll, you'll gel right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it really, it gave me the, uh, a way of looking at training that my students who have been with me before Burton and after Burton will tell you how much things shifted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, very much the mixed martial arts of the street attitude. But you know, if you you come into our school, it's it's still very much a dojo. It's still that uh, kind of that that martial. You know, Bruce Lee called it martial arts, not martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that almost old school Budo attitude.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: training for for self perfection and for uh, self protection.
1: Yeah, you know it. It's. Uh... I don't know. I used to always tell my students, you know, I'd be like, you know, martial arts without philosophy is like soup without water. You know, it just, it just isn't. Um, But you know what opened my eyes and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but what opened my eyes to Bert's methods is um, in my second studio and I was looking for something different to teach my adult students because I knew that um, traditional martial arts were not as much of a draw as they used to be for adult students. And I know certain schools and the way they run their schools and so forth, they ended up getting a lot of adults, but mostly because they're teaching family classes. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to go in a different direction. I also wanted to train with my students, the same things that I enjoyed training, which was more along the lines of reality-based martial arts. And, uh, I was teaching, uh, birds MMA for the street program to my adults, and what was interesting was I had two different students who had started off from scratch, like knowing nothing. And uh, one was trained to be a cop. The other one was just, uh, he was a, a plumber, I think. And his older brother, that that guy was funny because he was a smaller guy. And his uh, older brother was uh, one of these hardcore, big, huge biker guys. And, and uh, he ended up, his brother kind of playfully attacked him at a family reunion and he ended up, you know, did a double leg and took him down, and you know, choked his brother, you know, and then made his brother give up. And then the guy who was trying to be a cop, he ran into uh, somebody who was, uh, I think, a, a karate brown belt at a party, and this guy was giving him crap because somebody else had told him he did martial arts with me, and you know, and it was just going on and on and on and on and. On. and so finally, I guess the guy kind of got fed up and he's like, well, you know, why don't we see if your stuff works or not? And the guy came at him and same thing, man, he, you know, he ducked under a punch and did a double leg, took the guy down, mounted him and choked him out. You know, he didn't, he, he let him tap, but still, you know, right. and, and neither of these guys had over six months of experience. You know, they were both like, you know, just baby students, in my opinion. And, you know, to take somebody to that level of efficiency and efficacy in their skills um, in traditional martial arts, it was like a a five-year thing for me before. You Mm -hmm. know, and to be able to do that with somebody in a matter of months was impressive to me. That's what kind of sold me on it. So, yeah, I'm right there with you.
2: And one of the things that, you know, like I said, having done JKD and all kinds of other martial arts before I got working with Burton, There were so many things i learned from other teachers that i was like this is really cool i can't pull it off in sparring i like it but i can't do it and and so you know i I wouldn't teach those things i wouldn't really uh include those in my curriculum for my students because i couldn't make it work Mm -hmm. and then you know same thing i start going through burton's teaching methodology and putting myself through those rounds Mm -hmm. and now i can do all of those things that i would have immediately written off as this is impractical or this is, you know, BS.
1: Yeah. And what's cool about Bert too, is he's a martial artist, you know, I mean, he, he, he teaches the art side of it, but he wants you to be functional first, which I, I appreciate, you know, and I'm, I'm like all for that too, you know? So yeah, well, let's, let's move on. Um, cause I've got a list of questions I want to ask you. I and mean, the right. first question I want to ask you is, um, uh, you have been around the martial arts world for a long time. I can't remember, were you the person that reached out to me to ask me for a copy of small Dojo big profits from um the bullshito um forum because you were you were like a moderator on there right
2: yeah i was and I, that's how i first heard of you it was uh, okay. one of one of my other uh, friends from bullshito yeah uh, omega was his uh screen name he was he was the guy who did the the review of you okay yeah um, yeah yeah nice guy yeah, and he yeah. he took slack for that he's a big school owner and you know uh-huh. you you hear these terms Get tossed around all the time. Oh, that's Bolshito, that's Bolshido.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Way back in the day on Bushido, we had to really delineate. Okay, there's a McDojo, uh-huh. and then there's Bolsheito. Bolshido is, you know, the no-touch knockouts, the uh-huh. you know, 80-year-old grandmaster throwing people around the room without laying a hand on them. Uh-huh. A McDojo is is just a school that's overly commercialized. Uh-huh. Um, and you you see that now where we have Brazilian jiu-jitsu McDojo's. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean what they're teaching isn't functional. Yeah, but they're gonna charge you a lot for every single belt or or whatever, you know, whatever their business practices are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the when I first got introduced to small dojo big profits through Bolshito, it was like this is how you can run a profitable school, make a living and not be sleeping on your mats and eating ramen because you can't afford your groceries, you know? Yeah. Um, so.
1: Yeah. yeah. I remember those guys. They they, 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 I, I remember somebody pointed it out to me cause I got to the point early on after I released that book, cause I had so many people that were just spreading lies about me and, you know, just falsehoods because yeah you know, I was really kind of without realizing it kind of shaking up the industry at the time with the ideas that I was presenting. And, um, he, he, yeah, I remember somebody pointed out to me, they're like, man, you ought to see what they're saying about you in this forum. And I'm like, oh, whatever. And I went and looked and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So then when your friend Omega approached me to get a copy of my book, I was like, I don't think so. He's like, no, really, I, I want to do a legitimate review. And I was like, you guys have not been kind to me. None of the people in that forum have actually read my book. You right. know, Why should I? He's like, I'll buy it. And I'm like you know, that's fine. And he actually did a very nice <laughs> review. He was a very, very fair. It was, it was interesting, but it's strange how that happened early on, you know, how so many people were against my methods and now people are forced to do it, but yeah. um, simply because of the economy and things that have changed. So tell me in your estimation, what have been the biggest changes that you've seen in the martial arts industry since you first became, since you first started teaching?
2: Um, I, I think the the ability to teach online, um, for better or for worse, ha- has been one of those uh, big industry shifts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, I think uh, the ubiquity of social media is is one of the other things, and that uh, it's it's enabled marketing to be so much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of started my school as this whole thing was. Happening so I remember when we were first talking, you mentioned things like uh, postcards and door door to door mailers and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and how the shift away from that has been. And so I've never really I did some at the beginning, but mm-hmm. you, you know, like like you coach people now, that's great after you've mastered Facebook marketing and everything like that. Uh, yeah, it's just cheaper and easier.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I I forget I got. I think it was ended up with 200 total leads for my last ad campaign. Wow. Maybe 175 bucks, you know? Yeah. Couldn't,
1: couldn't approach that in the old days. You know, I tell people I'm like, I'm like, you know, I used to spend $800 on a display ad that would, that would, uh, you know, it it would feature in the Sunday paper once, you know, and I'd be lucky if I got that ad in the right section. You know, you'd always want to have those ads put in like the family and life section or whatever, or, you know, um, you know, local interest or whatever, you know, things that moms read Right. and uh, you'd be lucky if you got the right placement and then you wouldn't know. It's the same thing with like postcards and EDDM. Cause people ask me about that now, you know, should I do every door direct mail? Should I do postcards? Should I do door hangers? I'm like, it takes so much more skill in marketing, copywriting, being able to, you know, create good offers, you know, graphic layout. there's so many Disparate skills that have to come together to come up with a good marketing piece for every door direct mail um, postcard marketing, um, you know, door hangers and so forth to make that effective. It's not that they can't be effective because I actually think it's a way that you can stand out in today's, you know, digital environment where, you know, hardly anybody is doing things by snail mail anymore. But Um, It's just so much easier to get on Facebook and to, you know, maintain your Facebook page with some, you know, daily posts and the right types of posts and so forth and build your audience and then just start boosting posts, you know, which is the easiest way to get started in Facebook advertising takes no skill at all. Facebook takes all the thought out of it, you know, they take all the thinking, and uh, so much easier too and cheaper than, than Google ads still. Although I think Facebook marketing is changing, you know, there've been a lot of changes along with the algorithms and, you know, the updates to the, uh, you know, Apple operating system and so forth. So we don't need to get into that. So you think those are the biggest changes, you know, how, how much easier and cheaper it has become to, to market. Okay.
2: Yeah. And even just technology overall, uh, I remember when I first got started, I had to, I asked for a, a digital video camera for Christmas because I couldn't afford it on my own, and I knew okay, I, I was looking at the handful of people who yeah. were doing martial arts stuff on YouTube at, at that point. Now everybody was, has one, right? Yeah, and I was seeing you know, random guy who I did a huge investigation on him on Bullshito. Oh, because everything he was posting was one, his technique was questionable. Mm-hmm. Two, his background was completely fraudulent but he had hundreds of followers and was traveling around the world, teaching people because at that point he was one of the only guys posting a video every week on YouTube. And, is- I, and the thought occurred to me is like, well, if he, he can do it with BS, why can't I do it with legit stuff? And yeah, now, now it's, you know, we, we've got a, a whole martial arts influencer sphere with guys like Jesse Encamp and, uh, mm-hmm. I see Mike and all all of these guys mm-hmm. um where you know 15 years ago good grief uh that was not a thing
1: yeah I think Jeff Chan's actually my favorite you know yes. martial arts yeah. YouTuber but you know yeah you know he and he's kind of he's kind of done some stuff recently some collaborative stuff with some of those other guys those other mm-hmm. martial arts YouTubers but what's interesting is is to me it, I and I'm always telling martial arts instructors this who are resistant to learning just the fundamental business concepts to help improve the financial health of their dojos. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, the thing is is that there are still charlatans out there. You have charlatans that you're competing with in your community. Um, most of the time, the people who I would consider to be charlatans don't consider themselves to be, but, um, you yep. know, these people understand good business practices. Yep. They have to understand good business practices. And in many cases they're also using, um, business practices that lack a certain amount of integrity and uh, this is your competition i'm like this is your competition these people are better at business than you are you know you need to become good at business to be able to compete with those people because the public has no way of knowing they have no way of discerning whether you are a better or more honest or more qualified instructor than the guy down the street you know who got you know a a 12-month black belt or a nine-month black belt at, at some, you know, run-of-the-mill McDojo school, you know, who's out there cranking out six and nine and 12-month black belts, you know, in order to to make a buck, you know, that's cashing out everybody in the front door and selling them on black belt programs, you know, and then, you know, charging them on armor leg for every promotion they get. I'm like, there's no way for the public to tell which is better. You have to be good at marketing. You have to be good at business management and so forth. So it's interesting you brought that up. Now, tell me this. When you were first starting off, what was your biggest challenge? Was it marketing, or was it something else?
2: I, I would say it was definitely marketing. I, I had an understanding of that I needed to do it, mm. um, I, that I, I wanted it to look cool or, or whatever. Um, but marketing and just general business practices. I was a, uh, in addition to doing martial arts, I was a business major. it's not a business major. I was a philosophy major, mm. who. Uh, spent my time in a bouncing or in a Buddhist temple. So I, I just had no idea of what I was doing on the business side of things. Uh, and it's still not my strong point, but you know, that was, that was why I sought you out when you had a very, very simple system. Yeah. Just, you know, without a head for business on you, something complex was not going to work for me.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. And the, the whole system operates on, you know, Pareto's principle and Occam's razor, you know, and that's really, those are the two, the, the two fundamental guiding principles of the whole system that I built. So um, now, so basically you over, you overcame your challenges when you first started off just by, you know, seeking out somebody to to guide you and it happened to be yeah. me. So that's, that's interesting. Now in your current studio situation, what are your greatest challenges?
2: um the current studio it's kind of the same challenges as it all, always is marketing you know getting to the right people mm-hmm. uh, it, the the art I teach presents interesting challenges mm-hmm. uh, in that jKD attracts a certain type of individual it, it attracts a few different types of individuals mm-hmm. um but it, especially when I was with some of the previous teachers I'd be getting people who uh, had a questionable moral background mm. uh, wanting to learn because they wanted to go get in street fights and things like that. And that was not the kind of person I wanted to teach. Uh, so that, that is shifted, thankfully, as I've grown as an instructor. Um, and so it's now marketing is casting, not, not necessarily a wider net, mm-hmm. but learning, you know, who my ideal student is mm-hmm. Who's going to be the person who shows up every day or, you know, whatever, twice a week or whatever it is regularly wants to train has a right, has a good attitude. Um, You know, and how do I find that person? How do I attract that person? Uh, What do I say to that person through my copy, through the the videos I'm putting out Mm -hmm. Um, that, that has been the, the journey, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, one if i'm doing this every day i want to actually like the people i'm with and i want them to like me yeah yeah Yeah, that's a good point because you know i think when you're i think and that's
1: probably one of the, the pitfalls of running a larger martial arts studio is that you know you have to work with all and sundry, you know, I mean, you're yeah. taking in everybody off the street. And when you run in a smaller studio, small digit, big profits, micro dojo approach, you know, bomb proof dojo, which is somewhere mm-hmm. in between. Um, and those are all things that we teach in the MA biz but, um, it, you know, really when you're running a more traditional dojo, that's, you know, maybe a larger dojo, I'd say 4,000 square feet and up, um, in in order for you to be able to pay your overhead, you've got to take a lot more students. You got to do a lot more volume. And so you end up working with people many times that you wouldn't normally want to work with, you know? And I would like to think that, if you have the right culture in your studio, you promote the right culture, you're going to attract the type of student that you want to work with. It doesn't always work that way. And I've talked to many, many, many martial arts instructors who approach me and they're like, I want to downsize because I'm not happy with what I'm doing because, you know, I'm running a larger studio. I'm making a lot of money, but I'm not happy with what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, I want to be happy with, you know, my job again. And I think a lot of it has to do with that, you know, that sometimes we end up attracting personalities that, yeah. you know, aren't necessarily the type of people who want to teach. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So as far as you, you've always kind of run a studio that's kind of a, uh, the smaller model, you know, kind of focusing maybe more on small groups, um, private instruction, individual instruction, and so forth, you know. Um, what type of challenges do you think come along with that?
2: Um, it, I, again, finding that ideal student, um, yeah. the, because so many martial arts schools are the big gyms, Mm-hmm. Uh, the The average person who contacts you is looking, if they have an idea of what a martial arts program is like, they're looking for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a, a lower rate for uh, a larger training group. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're running a smaller, uh, uh, smaller profile school, mm-hmm. uh, private students, things like that, that's a different cell. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to educate the clients uh, and you're looking again for, for a certain type of person who's going to stick with you, because mm-hmm. if you are only teaching 30 people and, you know, you lose two, that's, that's significant a impact, right? Yeah. Whereas if you've got that, you know, 4,000 square foot school, 2000 square foot school, and you're, you're teaching, you know, 200 students, mm-hmm. you don't want to lose anybody, but two people is, you know, not even a, a big percentage mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. So you know finding that person who who's going to be dedicated uh, serving that person so they stick with you mm. and uh, you, you know uh, making sure that you can stay solvent is a is a, is a challenge yeah yeah but and it, I think it, that it's goes a warning challenge
1: yeah I think it goes along with having higher standards both for the students who accept and then also for the program you're teaching. Um, I think that also works well with the MicroDojo approach you know I mean, you know, during the pandemic, you know, that's what I shifted to. And then I ended up creating that micro dojo course for you guys. Um, What is interesting to me is I don't understand why more martial arts instructors don't, you know, follow that micro dojo approach because it is so much easier to have an extremely low overhead studio, maybe even be running your business in a part-time location and only teaching, you know, less than 20 students, but yet charging a significant amount more and yet you can still make a great living doing that. And it's so much easier. You have so much. Yeah. I mean, it's just less headaches, less work, less everything, you know, less marketing, you name it. Um, And I, I, I just, I don't understand why martial artists don't do that or more martial artists don't pursue that, that pathway to success, except for the fact that I think a lot of martial artists have this kind of Maybe this traditional, you know, vision of what a martial arts school is, of what a dojo is, you know, and, you know, they, you know, some traditionalists, you know, they want the Mr. Miyagi dojo behind their house or, you know, whatever. Or other people are like, you know, I came up in a school that was, you know, in a strip mall or something like that. And it was, you know, you know, 3,000 square feet or 4,000 square feet or whatever. And that's the way we trained. And I want to have an environment like that, you know, and I get that. But sometimes I don't think that's the most rewarding way to go. I think there are more headaches that come along with that type of more commercialized school than people realize. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Now, as far as the changes go in the industry, um, speaking – and it's rare that I get to talk to somebody who's been around the industry as long as I have. So do you think the changes that have happened over on the industry are positive or negative? you know, the ones that we've discussed, maybe the, the greater ease in marketing and, um, you know, the public being, uh, you know, much more educated about, you know, the, the product that we offer and so forth.
2: Um, I think like everything, it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the fact that we all have great cell phone cameras and, uh, you know, the, the, easy access to video editing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on Canva every day.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh
2: um, whether it's you know for a, a quick thirty second video that I can upload to to Instagram and uh, YouTube or for running a marketing campaign or whatever um, those things are great mm-hmm. uh, the ease of access though has also led to more noise mm-hmm. um, so you do have to you you can't just use the tools you have to start becoming skilled with them and and this is still a process with me. Um, because you have to be able to stand out yeah you kind of also have to understand what it is you you're trying to do uh you know because if you want to be jeff chan that's a completely different skill set mm-hmm. than uh you know trying to get somebody within your five ten mile radius to show up at your school yeah now yeah you can definitely monetize those skills um, but you you got to decide what it is you want to do, mm. um, and, and the the ubiquity of social media does also lead to um, the kind of the the sophomoric attitude uh, with the people you might be you might think you're trying to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the fact of the matter is is and this is this is not a shot at at uh, Icy Mike or Jeff Chan or, or Jesse camp or any of them. But I'm probably not trying to attract any of the people who, uh, mm-hmm. who watch their videos. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, if, if you're a, a massive fan of Ramsey Dewey, mm-hmm. uh, who puts out great content, you're probably, A, already training somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, okay, th- that's that's cool if you want to switch to my school from where you're already training, um, but it's much easier for me to attract somebody who's not already training somewhere. So either A, you're already training somewhere, or B, you're a keyboard warrior who's watching martial arts influencers and think yeah. you're educating yourself. But that, you know, the person B is going to show up in my school mm-hmm. and they'll be gone within a Month to three months because they're going to realize it's a hell of a lot harder to actually train to fight than it is to watch YouTube, yeah. And And,
1: and the thing is, the guys you mentioned, you know, in camp, I see Mike, uh, Jeff Chan, you know, Ramsey Dewey, you know, they're all uh, good martial artists in their own right, yeah. They've put in the work, yeah. Hey, Jeff Chan's phenomenal, man, he is. Um, but uh, you know, they're entertainers, you know, as far mm-hmm. as their their full time job now that they've chosen their career path as YouTubers is to be entertainers. And so their job is to entertain and they do put out some highly entertaining content. I love some of the stuff that they put out, you know, I think actually I think Jesse has recently, you know, because I hadn't I hadn't really followed his content for many years. And way mm-hmm. back when I was in contact with him because um, he published an article of mine that I wrote, a humorous article and so forth. Oh, cool. and a really nice guy. But uh, um I think he puts out some of the best content on traditional martial arts that there is, you know, which is, which is great. I think it's a service to the industry, but, you know, for the average martial arts school owner, this brings me back to the common mistakes that I see martial arts school owners make. And, you know, I think one of the common mistakes you mentioned it is that they, um, they try to target the wrong audience. You know, they think that their audience and that their primary, the primary audience that they need to. Um, to reach in order to attract students is martial artists. And it's just not so. It's never been that way. You know, your your primary audience is a consumer who, has, who doesn't do martial arts, but they would like to try it. You know, that's your primary audience. Or your primary audience are consumers that would like maybe a family member, like a child to do martial arts or whatever if you teach children. So that's one of the main mistakes I see in marketing. Um, second main mistake I see in marketing, uh, which is actually it's kind of interesting but you know it has everything to do with messaging because there's there's really two ways that you can go about being effective at marketing you can use the shotgun approach where you just put a ton of marketing out there just a ton of marketing content a ton of marketing campaigns and so forth and you know really just focus on offers you know you're just focusing on the best offer that you can possibly put out there you know that's an offer I, I call it a godfather offer an offer you can't refuse then you just put a ton of it out there and then the other approach to marketing that you can take is having the right message, you know, having a a unified central message that is telling your story in a way that is compelling and that helps you stand out and differentiate. When you can combine those two approaches, when you learn to have a unique voice and uh, you learn to differentiate in the marketplace, which you need to do with, as you said, all the noise that's out there in the digital marketing world today, and you can combine that with that kind of shotgun approach, you know, then that's, that makes for, Pretty phenomenal marketing, and then the third most common mistake I see is I see martial arts instructors try to do everything free, like because marketing is so cheap and because there's so many tools out there that are low cost and free, and you know you can get on social media and you can you know you can market 24 seven on social media for almost absolutely free. The only problem is now is like on Facebook, you know, which is where still most of the moms are, um, in most of the families, most of the people you're trying to reach you know, they have, you know, since they went to the pay to play model, you know, since they went, you know, full bore ahead with their, um, their advertising model, um, you know, they have just destroyed organic reach on that platform. So you could be posting, putting free posts on Facebook till you're blue in the face. You're not going to reach anybody. You're going to reach, maybe if you're lucky, 3% of your followers, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to advertise. You have to pay for advertising in order to reach people now. And I think too many martial arts school owners are just trying to do everything for free. They're doing everything DIY. You know, you look at their marketing, you look at their website, you look at the things they're doing, and it's just completely unprofessional. And, uh, you know, I think in today's market, you just, cannot afford to be unprofessional yeah it's just it's something you can't do so yeah
2: and, yeah. and you know you can you can do that after you've put in the work mm. right? uh, you, you can build your own website after you've learned what a martial arts website has to be to attract people right yeah, yeah. Uh, you can you can write your own ad copy after you've learned copywriting and mm-hmm. even then you're still I'm I'm constantly trying to learn new skills for uh you know whether it's editing videos or um you know writing copy mm-hmm you know. Yeah. Well, the crazy but, uh, thing is, though, what's interesting, JB,
1: is you don't have to learn those skills anymore. And that's something that I'm, I'm trying yeah, to get across. Like the most recent, I don't know if you've taken a look, because I know you just got on the app that I just released, but um, the mm-hmm. most recent marketing um, the course that I released is kind of like a condensed marketing course, because my old marketing course had just gotten too bloated and people would look at it. They're like, it's just too much. And they would just give up on it <laughs> immediately. So, um, you know, I try to focus on 80-20 marketing uh, activities in that course and one of the things that I'm trying to get across people now is you don't have to learn all those skills. When I first started, I built my first martial arts website in 99 and 2000, you know, and I remember building that website in Microsoft publisher because Microsoft publisher had an HTML. What you see is what you get website builder. And I built it. It was actually a pretty decent website. You know, it was pretty cool. It had like some, some Asian music in the background. It had a little dragon moving at the top, you know, for the time it was, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. And, uh, You know, and then you could publish it, you know, with a, uh, you know, an FTP software that I think came with Microsoft Publisher. And I was one of the first martial arts studios I knew to have a martial arts website. And what happened was, is I built that website, I got it online. And then one of my students was a web programmer and she did amazing websites at the time. And she built this really cool website that did absolutely jack for me. Okay. right like nothing and so i ended up taking your website down and i read um a lot of dan kennedy stuff and i started doing website sales letters and i started copying what i was seeing in the online marketing world to the martial arts world, the martial arts industry. And then all of a sudden I started getting tons of leads from Google. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that saved me during the uh, great recession, you know, cause we were like months away from bankruptcy after the great recession happened, you know, and that, that whole story I've told it before, but um, right. that's what allowed us to turn that school around and get up to 125 students and, you know, 20 grand a month in, in revenue and so forth. Um, but You don't have to do that anymore. See, I had to learn web programming, I had to learn copywriting. I had to learn how to do graphic design. I had to learn all these disparate skills. Search engine optimization. I got a search engine optimization certificate. You know, I did all these things. You don't have to do that anymore because all you have to do is pay somebody. And it's so much cheaper now to do You're, you know, say, say you've got, I always tell instructors, you know, you need to be spending, you know, if you're making $10,000 a month, you're bringing in $10,000 a month gross in your studio, you should be spending 10% of that, at least on marketing every month for that thousand dollars a month. You can get a lot now, you know, Mm -hmm. you can get a website for $300 a month from one of the more reputable uh, website, you know, martial arts website builders out there that, is already has um, you know lead capture forms, already has you know SMS text marketing you know integrated with it, already has um, maybe integration with uh, Calendly or they might have their own calendar software on their appointment setting software integrated with it. Um, automatically is is already search engine optimized, so it's going to show up well in the search engines and local search. You know, and on and on and on. You know, these are things that would have taken me you know uh, hundreds of hours to do on my own in the past and you know maybe thousands and thousands of dollars you know and you don't have to do that anymore so it's it's interesting you mentioned that too because i'm I, you know i i want to just you know impress upon people out there you don't have to learn all those skills yourself you know
2: no but- you don't and, and you know i've learned them over years right yeah. just like you were saying it, it's not that i need to know it right now but yeah as you go through this process it's, it's just like your martial art yeah, right? well, you pick up but- things as you go you yeah, And then years and- ago,
1: years ago, you had to learn those skills, yeah. you know, to market online. And then what well, I'm saying is you don't anymore. So it has yeah. gotten a lot easier, just like you said before. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's really tragic that martial arts instructors are still out there and they're still struggling for lack of number one, learning fundamental business skills. And number two, learning how to market. You know, yeah. marketing marketing and sales solves your cash flow issues. That's like eighty percent of the problems you're gonna have in a martial arts studio. Okay, so let's move on. So um running a JKD studio, I I'm gonna assume that was a dream job for you. Am I correct in that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, dream so. job, uh, you know, wanting to kind of having in the back of my head of what what would if I could go back in time. And teach myself, you know, or, or the student who's like me at that age, what would the dream dojo have been? What would the the uh, experience have been uh, of going through that training? Um, so it was absolutely a dream come true. Um, it's also kind of a nightmare because I really got started when I got laid off from my day job. I remember yeah. talking to you about that back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I had the the part-time training group and was like, okay, here we go. I don't have a choice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's
1: it's interesting, you know. I you're not the only person that's that's uh, that I've coached that had that happen to them, but sometimes that's you know, the the biggest challenges we have in our lives are sometimes catharsis, you know, that, that mm-hmm. uh, you know that we go through to to take us to where we need to be in our professional lives, you know, to be happier. So, what's what would you say is the best part of your job?
2: Oh, there's so many uh, great points in my job, Uh, you know, kind of living my dream, getting to surround myself with the martial arts, uh, the probably the biggest one of those moments when you're you're teaching someone who's struggled with something Mm -hmm. uh, and then they they have that aha moment, a moment of uh, where, where everything clicks. And you get to see them overcome whatever it is they've been struggling with. Um, That's always just a a huge rush. Uh, The moments where someone comes to you, almost always not the person you'd expect, Mm. but someone comes to you and says, you know, what you've done in my life matters. Mm. It, It has helped me. It has benefited me or however it goes. Uh, those are huge, and, and you know, obviously, teaching martial arts. You already mentioned two of two of your students. When you do have that person come to you and say, "Hey, uh, you know, I had I had to fire somebody at, at my job, and then her boyfriend and his buddy jumped me out back, and uh, the police officer reviewed the footage and immediately asked me where I trained and can I sign off. Nice <laughs> those moments are are, are big, uh, yeah. just from. Uh, kind of an egoistic standpoint but you know yeah it, it's yeah. always cool hearing stories about how you helped people
1: yeah it's it's fun having students come back after years and years i had a student that was um uh, that turned with me when he was in high school and ended up going in the service you know at at my urging actually um because he had dropped out of school he ended up in bosnia with the tenth mountain and uh wow. And he came back, and we we chatted years later after he was already you know an adult you know and and uh, in his in his mid to late twenties and and he kind of stopped and in the middle of the conversation and said you know what Mr. Massey all the stuff you taught us really works I just want you to know that I was like <laughs> don't don't tell me how you know it works but I, I appreciate that that's good all right so. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about my coaching program and stuff, and I would probably be remiss if I didn't allow you to talk about it more simply because one of the reasons why I do this podcast is obviously to educate people on the products and services that I offer. So, you know, for those of y'all that are out there listening that don't know, I offer, you know, a multitude of courses and books and uh, a coaching program and so forth for people. So what do you think has been the biggest benefit of joining uh, my coaching program at my busy? U?
2: Uh, I mean, the fundamentals of learning how to run a business was huge for me. Uh, having you know, come up, with, especially in the, the 80s and 90s, where either schools were questionable in their ethics, or uh, like me, my instructor got into martial arts because that was what they loved and had no idea how to run a business. And so that school folded or... You know, so just having some really practical this is how you run your school. Mm-hmm. this is how you operate from day to day to make sure you don't get your doors shut. Um, but then, having known you for so long, watching as the program evolved with the times, um, as you've explored different models, uh, you mentioned the bombproof dojo, the micro dojo, mm-hmm. um, the the micro or the bombproof dojo model just made so much sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, having, you know, I've, I've done private lessons, I've, I've mixed private lessons in group classes and the, the clients who got into the group class and wanted more, mm-hmm. they'd add a private lesson a week or whatever. Those were the guys who I ended up loving training with you know, a lot of them have went on to become my training partners just because we're on the max every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the ability to kind of. Shift to a model that focused on that
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, definitely um, made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, as as I've stuck with you through these years, and you know, seen what other business coaches, um, you know, it, it is interesting to me how uh, they, they you know, still pop up in my social media. Every once in a while, I'll get one of them actually DMing me. And you look at their background. I'm like, oh, okay, you, you ran one school, mm. you haven't run any schools, but you're gonna you're gonna tell me how to market or you know run my business, yeah. Um, you know mm. we you know, we we talked about Burton Richardson and his whole whole curriculum based on getting those reps and getting those rounds, and so you learn from experience. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. you've, you've learned from experience. So, you know, anyone signing up with you can trust that what you're talking about has been tried in the, in the ring and on the street, as it were. Yeah, well, um, that's, and, that's and interesting.
1: You, yeah, it's and funny and that just, you put it that way.
2: Just like, uh, you know, with Burton, you're adapting. You're constantly learning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can say, you know, actually, trial by fire is probably one of the best ways to learn, you know, and um, I don't, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse by going into the way that I started, but I will say that um, really that the system that I devised was based on the fact that I don't like complicated systems. I really don't. And it has long been a, you know, kind of an open secret among consultants in the consulting industry, no matter which um, industry that consultant is operating in, that if you can take a simple problem, and create a complex solution for a simple problem you can prolong the client's pain and also prolong the amount of time that the client gives you money it's as simple as that and i'll see martial arts instructors that maybe have purchased one of my courses or purchased one of my books or so forth and then they'll they'll spend You know, $10,000 on some sort of mastermind coaching program with another martial arts business consultant who may or may not be qualified to teach them how to run a martial arts studio. And the number of people that are in the industry now, because there's no barrier to entry for being a consultant or a business coach, Mm -hmm. is insane. Um, And half of them have no business teaching martial arts business to anyone uh, or the business side of martial arts. But then what will happen is, is they'll go and they'll get in those programs and then they'll come back to me and they'll say, you know what? I spent all that money. I didn't learn a damn thing. Or they'll tell me, you know what? They were just teaching your stuff and they were teaching it poorly. You know, I've had so many people tell me that. Or a client recently who came back into the a busy program, who'd been a client before left, joined somebody else mastermind program, and then came back to my program and told me, he's like, look, the, the stuff they were teaching was just, it was just amoral you know, that was his, that was his main complaint. He's like, you know, they were just teaching stuff that was just amoral. And he's like, I'm not going to compromise my principles to make a buck, you know, and I appreciate that. And I think that's the type of client that I kind of, uh, you know, that, that I attract. And those are the types of people that I want to work with. And I want to be around, I don't want to be around the martial arts instructor that just wants to cash out every person who comes in their front door. who's not worried about, you know, tracking attendance or, you know um, whether their clients are improving or, you know, engaging clients, you know, after the sale. And so forth. I don't want to work with those types of people you know i want to work in people who are actually who are real instructors people who want to teach martial arts who actually want to pass on their art you know who want to improve other people's lives through the the practice of teaching martial arts you know through the, that career that career path and uh yeah so i'm i'm glad you know i'm glad it works for people i'm glad people like you have seen value in it so you know um i'd probably be a you know a lot wealthier if uh if i was willing to you know sell people on my you know uh you know inner circle mastermind program you know you know thirty thousand dollars a year or whatever you know i'd probably make a lot more money but yeah that's that's not what i'm here for so well before we go um let's talk about a couple of things okay so first thing i want to ask you is Do you think that your business approach has to be different for somebody who's teaching a martial art that maybe isn't easily commercialized? For example, you know, um, say, you know, in your case, you're teaching Jika you know, kind of as a as a purist, as it were. Um, Do you think your business approach, tactics, strategies and so forth have to be different when you're teaching a martial art like that versus, say, teaching something that's easily commercialized? Like, you know, and I'm not picking on any martial art because I I am a, a Taekwondo black belt. But say if you were teaching Taekwondo or something.
2: Um, I, I think the principles principles of running any business, marketing, you know, the fundamentals, all of those things, those are going to be the same no matter what.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You do need to be able to adapt to your situation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you want to have that mental flexibility, but you have to understand the fundamentals to do that, mm-hmm. you know, try and reinvent the wheel. And, and I've had, uh, I've had martial arts coaches, uh, instructors, not martial arts business coaches tell me, no, you need to do this. Well, you know, those coaches weren't running a school. Mm. Why should I follow their insight? Um, yeah. so knowing the fundamentals of how to run a business really, really, uh, those are going to be the same across the board. Uh, are there things in, uh, a, a Taekwondo Dojang that, uh, I might not be doing sure. Are the things I'm doing that they might not be doing? Sure. Mm -hmm. But that Taekwondo instructor and myself, we have to show up. We have to leave it all out there on the mat. We have Mm -hmm. to engage with the students. If if, if they're going to be successful, they want to make the same connections with their students I'm making. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: They want their students to feel good after the end of training the the same way I do. So are there differences? Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day if I lack the fundamental skills that he has, it doesn't matter that my art is super cool and unique and individual um because I'm not going to be in business.
1: yeah it's oh that's true you know. Um, yeah, I think there's a certain amount of you know kind of can as I talked about you know um, you had two different approaches to marketing either the shotgun approach or the story mm-hmm. approach and you know I think um, being able to convey your story in a way that that allows you to differentiate yourself in the market and stand out in a, in a crowded market, you know? Yeah. I think it's important. I think that's important to survival. So yeah. Now let me ask you this. If you were starting over again today, you know, like starting over completely, what would you do differently?
2: Oh, I would have signed up uh, with you a lot sooner. A lot I appreciate sooner. that. I appreciate um, that. Uh, well, if I was starting over today and definitely again, just all the innovations with technology that we've talked about, Mm. Um I I would uh I, I would be filming my classes, whether it's you know, a dedicated tripod in the corner, so I can, you know, upload that to a private training group. So somebody in in uh Australia wants to learn from me, mm. can. Or, you know, again, just okay, I've got two students sparring. They're two of my really good guys. Let me get 30 seconds. 30 mm. seconds of just a quick, a quick video on Instagram within, you know, within a day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whereas before that all had to be planned out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would be taking advantage of that so much quicker. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be, uh, I would be putting the systems I learned from you in, in place before I even opened the door mm-hmm. um, and not trying to put my own spin on things and mess around. You know, like i said the fundamentals are what uh, what you yeah. need to be doing yeah
1: it's interesting you say that about putting your own spin on things because i have people you know have come in and out of the program um, who have had varying levels of success and most of the reason why when people come in and they don't have a, a high degree of success, it's either because they actually want to do something that's different than what I teach. In other words, they might want to have a big, huge school, you know, or they want might want to have, you know, multiple locations or run a chain of schools or whatever. And, you know, it's kind of a different vision than what I teach. It's not that you can't take the business principles that I teach and, you know, use that to get you off the ground and then use that, you know, level of success as a platform to do other things. But... Um, or it's because they just want to do things their own way. And I'm like, you know, just when you're just starting off, just do the systems as they're taught, you know, do everything, do the systems as they're taught, implement everything, you know, do it in order and you're going to get much better results. So I I appreciate that. Okay. Real quick. uh, Let's do a lightning round here. So, um, what's your favorite method or style or techniques to train?
2: Oh, good grief. Uh, that changes. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'd say weekly, but I, you know, I go through cycles. I go through cycles mm-hmm. where uh, you, you know, Kali love it. Uh, mm-hmm. I just finished a six week intensive with my students on uh, Espada Daga, and oh, yeah. a, a, a workshop on it uh, tomorrow at a big Hema event out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm a JKD guy, so trapping, which is not something was that was my specialty, but you know, I play around with it and mm-hmm. I get better at it and So, um, yeah, (laughs) I love it all. So it's just whatever at the moment hits me.
1: Cool. Okay, so uh, favorite after-workout meal?
2: Uh, Ribeye with blue cheese and
1: uh, homemade fries. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, All-time favorite martial arts movie?
2: Oh, geez. Enter the dragon. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I kind of knew that was coming. You, know, you see the poster behind me. I said
2: something else. I've got the, Hon- I... the,
1: the Hong Kong poster behind me there on the wall. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Martial arts or non-martial arts? Oh, geez.
2: Um... <laughs> uh, Humphrey Bogart once said the problem with the world was that the majority of people were three drinks behind. He said, if everyone just had three martinis, we wouldn't martinis, three martinis, we wouldn't need the U.N.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like that. All right. And uh, what's your preferred adult beverage?
2: Uh, either a Manhattan or mead.
1: Nice. All right. Very good. Okay. Well, JB, we're going to end off there. And uh, for those of y'all that are listening, uh, I'll, I'll be back in uh, uh, shortly with the uh, tip of the week. JB, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I hope I get to work with you for many more years to come.
2: Absolutely. Thanks right.
1: for everything. Thank you, sir.
0: The tip of the week. It's time for our featured Martial Arts Business Tip of the Week. For more great tips, be sure to visit artsbusinessdaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And while you're there, click on the Business Resources tab for links to all Mike's Martial Arts Business books and courses. Now, here's your Martial Arts Business Tip of the Week. Hey
1: folks, we're gonna cap off this uh, edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast with our Tip of the Week. And this week I am talking about metrics, okay, numbers. And I know, boring as all heck, right? Nobody wants to talk about numbers, nobody wants to talk about bookkeeping, nobody wants to talk about tracking your metrics in your martial arts studio. However, it is one of the more important things that you can do in your studio to help ensure your success as a martial arts studio owner. And the reason why is because, as was once famously said, that which gets measured gets improved. Well. Honestly, just because you measure something doesn't mean you're going to improve it because you have to know how to improve what you're measuring in order to be able to improve it after seeing the results of what you've measured, right? So let's just talk about some metrics first and then I'll talk about ways that you can improve what you're doing based on the numbers, the metrics, the stats, if you will, that you're tracking. Okay, so. What's one of the first stats that we want to track in our martial arts studio well one of the most obvious ones is class attendance we want to know who's attending our classes at any given time who our active members are if you haven't seen a member in a couple of weeks that member is no longer an active member something's wrong there Um, you should have already contacted them you know if you're doing uh, what you should be doing as far as your retention systems go you should have systems in place where if a student misses class Um, That you're contacting them that very week to see what's going on and to try to encourage them to get back into class. You can't do that if you're not tracking attendance, you know? So, you know, in many ways, retention systems rely on good attendance tracking and knowing that metric. Uh, What's another one that we can track? Well, how about leads and inquiries? That's a very basic metric that every martial arts studio owner should be tracking. You should know how many leads and inquiries that your marketing is generating in a given day, a given week, and a given month. And you should be comparing those, not just to previous months, but you should be comparing the number of leads and inquiries that you got this year at this time of the year to what you got last year at that time of the year, because you should be able to see trends and you should be able to see whether or not your marketing efforts are leading you in an upward trend or a downward trend. You have to get a certain amount of leads and inquiries to be able to sustain, um, you know, Measurable growth and desirable growth in a martial arts studio. Um, I used to say that you needed uh, between 30 and 40 leads a month, and that was prior to, you know, really the onset of social media, digital media, um, smartphones, and so forth, because. Now there's just so much distraction, and, and people honestly are, you know, they are a bit flakier in the way that they respond to, um, you know, somebody contacting them, calling them, a business or whatever, even if they've requested the information. Um, You could pretty much double those numbers. You need to have, you know, 50, 60, 70 leads minimum a month in order to be able to sustain growth in your studio. And of course, those numbers also depend on other factors like how good you are at setting appointments, how good you are at following up with people, either through text or on the phone or whatever, getting people into your studio. Um, You might actually, because your conversion numbers, if they're extremely low, you might need more than that. So you need to know that metric. You need to understand and look at your trends as far as what your marketing is doing, how effective your marketing is, and so forth. What's another metric that we could look at? Well, one of the things that really every martial arts studio owner should know, and you should know this number at a drop of a hat, is your attrition rate. What is your retention rate? How many students are sticking around for the long haul, or more importantly, you know, what is a greater indicator of whether or not you're doing things that you need to be doing in order to retain students is, how many students have dropped out this month? So when you, at the end of the month, you add up the number of students that you have and you look at how many people you had enrolled at the beginning of the month, how many you had enrolled at the end of the month. You need to um, exclude all your new enrollments and just look at the numbers that you had at the beginning of the month and those students. And you wanna look at that number as a percentage rate. Anything that's over 5%, if you're over 5% attrition, if you've lost more than one in 20 of your students over the course of the month, something's wrong. Something's wrong with either how you're teaching classes or how your instructors are teaching classes, how they're delivering uh, your curricula or what have you, um, or something is wrong with your retention systems, or there is something wrong with your customer service within your studio. And see. You know, I've only picked out three metrics here, you know, three different statistics that you can look at in your studio. But as you can see, these statistics are absolutely crucial for you to be able to diagnose problem areas in your studio and then to be able to fix those problem areas and overcome them in the way that you're managing your studio, the way you're delivering classes, um, the way you're implementing systems, and so forth. So, by all means, um, what I'm going to encourage you to do is I'm going to encourage you to start tracking metrics in your studio. Now, if you have uh, a good martial arts school management software suite in place, and you have all the various um, components of it and features working for you, you've set everything up in your studio, and you have your marketing integrated with your uh, martial arts school management software, you have your uh, front end systems, you know, your onboarding for students integrated with your martial arts management software, then you don't have to worry about it. It should be tracking all these stats for you. But you can't really rely completely on the software. You should also be tracking stats by hand because many times what you'll find is is when you're tracking stats by hand and then you go back and you compare those numbers to what your martial arts management system is tracking, you'll find that you may have made mistakes in the way that you set up your systems or that the systems are you know, maybe glitchy and they, they aren't catching everything, all the data that should be coming in. So you know, make sure that you're tracking your stats multiple ways you know that you have redundancy in other words in the way you're tracking stats and so forth and you know, keep track of your numbers. If you want to know how to use your metrics in order to diagnose issues in your studio, and then if you wanna know what you can do to fix that, then I recommend that you check out my app. I just released a new app on the Android store and also in the Apple App Store. And the app is called Mike Massey's Martial Arts Business U. And if you just go to mabizu.com, that is m-a-b-i-z-u.com, you get all the information you wanna know about the app. very inexpensive and uh, there's tons of coursework in the app. There's a new marketing course in there that is a simplified marketing course that I created. Um, also, uh, almost my entire library of books is available within the app. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with the app as far as, uh, you know, getting training and educating yourself and how to run a martial arts school more efficiently and more effectively and more profitably. And also you can book uh, sessions with me. You can book coaching sessions with me through the app as well. So I recommend that you check that out if you want to know how to use your metrics, how to track metrics, and how to use those metrics to make sure you have a, uh, you know, a better, more profitable studio, and that you're happier in your career. Okay. So hopefully you know, we'll be able to connect through the app. And uh, again, I encourage you to check it out. And if you like what you see there, please give it a positive review in the Apple Store and Android Store because it helps other people discover the app. That's it for uh, this week's episode of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. I'll see you in a future episode and go out there and kill it this week.
0: You've been listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with Mike Massey. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this show, leave us a positive review while you're there. Thanks for your support. And tune in again next time for more great martial arts business tips and advice from MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com.